episode start, and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field, focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Matthew Klippenstein, your co-host with Nicholas Zart. Good morning, Nicholas. Good morning, uh, Matthew, and good morning, everyone. Uh, this looks like it's also going to be a pretty interesting week with everything we've got to talk about. Yeah, we have had a chock-a-block week and a bit of uh, news. Uh, I would like to say thank you to all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to give us a preferably favorable iTunes review, we'd be most appreciative. It will help other folks discover us. And with that little bit of advertising done, Nicholas, uh, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so yeah, indeed, let's talk about um, the, the Jetson electric bicycle that we got for, uh, for a review. It's called the Adventure. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about that bike because for me, it hits all the right points. It's an electric mountain bike. It's light, 42 pounds. It's at an approachable price. I don't want to say affordable, but approachable definitely at $1,800. It was one of those bikes where I was able to just get on it and it was easy to use. It was easy to just throw into corners. It was just a very easy, no frills kind of bicycle because a lot of these new electric bicycles now, they try to be a, a sort of a Bluetooth uh, communication hub. And uh, th this one doesn't have that. It's just an electric bicycle with a small 250-watt hub motor in the rear wheel, and it works really well. So I'm very, very excited about it. It's been about two months. Uh, the only problem I had was not particularly a Jetson problem, but basically entry-level uh, uh, wheel makers, they, they don't really put all the right things in the, on, on, the, on the tires. So I got a few punctures because they use those very slim and flimsy uh, rim, uh, rim protectors. So I got a few flats out of that. That was my only, my only thing about that is I would wish they would have had the better quality tire or at least a cloth uh, rim protection inside for the inner tube. Besides that, it's a wonderful bike. I, I lapsed my uh, renewal for my driver's license because I'm always on an electric bicycle these days. And so now I have a new one and I can start <laughs> testing uh, cars again. You know, you should get on it even if it's cold up there. I am admittedly less of a biker. So it's not even the word biker. I'm less of a cyclist, rather. <laughs> and going through the manual for the Jetson, it looks like uh, they placed the battery in the down tube, I believe it's called. And yes. just for those of us who are more novice, uh, could you just describe which, which of the tubes that is on the bike? Yeah, it's basically, um, if you look at the, uh, the V-frame or, or the diamond frame part of the bicycle, it's really the thicker one that's at the front that, that basically goes from the front suspension to where the pedals are. And so one of the great things about this bicycle I've noticed is people would ask me, oh, who's Jetson? And I, well, I would explain and I'd say, yeah, it's an electric bicycle. But they were like, where's the battery? Well, it's integrated directly in the frame. And so it looks like a regular uh, bicycle. It looks like a regular mountain bicycle, but it's electric. And I think that, that really surprised a lot of people. They liked it. Probably the only thing I would, uh, I would um, maybe caution is that we'll have to figure out how easy it is to change that battery. And it doesn't look too, too difficult. Basically, the front headlight needs to come and done. And then after that, you can pull out the battery. 
but it's not one of those swappable battery systems like you have on the Gen Z. It's really all integrated, which also means that nobody's going to steal that battery. I mean, they would have to steal the bicycle first. So yes, it is in that front portion of the frame facing the, the ground. Right. So I imagine this would mean that the center of gravity is pretty similar to an existing bike. It's probably in the middle. It's probably not too high. Absolutely. It means that everything is pretty much low to the ground. So like I said, the bike handles really, really well. It's a fun bike to throw in corners. It's a fun bike to go fairly quick. The, the only thing I would personally do is maybe change the cartridges behind so I would get more speed out of it and get a better handle, you know, handlebar. But that's really the only thing. It's, it's a really great foundation and it's a fairly affordable bike. Yeah, it just handles really well. It's a fun bike. So I note from the manual as well that they're using a Panasonic lithium-ion battery. Given the form factor, given how thin these bike tubes tend to be, it would be very interesting to know if they were using the 18650s or 2700s Tesla uses. I also note that the electric motor is rated at 250 watts, which apparently is kind of a, a casual cycling power output for a human. So it does give you that boost, but it's not overpowering. I imagine it gives you a decent supplement to your power without being too powerful. Yeah, supplement is actually a very good word. And you're right, it really is an assist. It's not an electric bicycle in the sense that it doesn't have a 750 watt or even a thousand uh, watt motor in it. Honestly, when I first saw it, I thought, eh, 250, that's kind of, you know, weak, but, but let's see what it does. It does it really well. That electric motor kicks in perfectly. It doesn't overtake you. I mean, I was able to pop wheelies on it, so it's not that neat. It's, it's just actually just a perfect balance. And I think their philosophy was it has to be light. It has to give you enough of a boost and it has to be fun to throw in corners. And that bike hits all the spots for me. It's the one bike I would like to keep and have in my garage all the time. For my part, let's just say that I don't cycle as much as many folks do here in um, Vancouver, which is a land of four wheels bad, two wheels good. True. Uh, I, would, I would note that basically from all that you're saying, and this is probably going to be the most awkward segue in the history of this podcast, clearly the Jetson product, I'm sure products from their competitors don't suck. Unlike Dyson products, at least the vacuums, which do suck and suck powerfully. The Dyson announcement from a little while back that they would also throw their hat into the EV ring. Yeah, and it sounds like they're actually going even further. I mean, we've been hearing rumors, of course, you know, Apple was probably the biggest one of them all, which, which it seems like they've backed off a bit. Um, but Dyson is still going at it, and they're still, I think they said something about in about two years, they'll have a working prototype, which, which is very interesting how they're going to do that unless they get a lot of people from the um, automotive industry to join on board. And that much I haven't seen yet, but I think you probably know a little bit more about that than I do. Yeah, well, I don't know uh, all that much. Kyle Field, a former co-host of this podcast, did put a, an article together when the news launched. I guess we could note that Dyson, being based in the UK, there are a number of car plants there where they could uh, take talent from, including a plant from Nissan, which already does manufacture some Leafs. Yep, that's so right. Is, Absolutely. There is definitely local talent. We have discussed before that there's Magna, and so if Dyson doesn't want to invest in creating an entirely new manufacturing facility, they could perhaps do all the design and engineering work and then offload the manufacturing to this third party. That way, you know, they, they wouldn't possibly make as much profit, uh, but they certainly wouldn't have to spend untold billions of dollars adding another new skill set. You know, automotive manufacturing being so big is still different from manufacturing of appliances. 
I mean, obviously you're right. There is a lot of uh, talent in the UK and, and also there's also a renaissance of, of sorts in the UK with the automotive field. So, so it'll be interesting to see who they, they bring on board and what they're actually doing. I just find it that so far, and this is just my personal opinion, that it's a little bit uh, short on, on deliverables and actual tangible things that they want to really bring out. Um, solid state battery is, yes, of course, we, uh, the whole industry is going towards solid state batteries. But last I heard, commercially, they're not going to be available until at least 2020, if not more. So I'm not really sure if they're going to stick with that plan, but it would be nice to see what they're doing in that field. And this is also something that Apple missed, <laughs> missed the boat on. <laughs> That's a good segue. By showing us who they were hiring, but by showing us what they were doing. So I think Dyson needs to show us who's coming on board and where they're going with this. Yeah, they certainly will need to communicate their intention to make sure they're, they're taken on the serious side as opposed to the lightweight side of the spectrum. They did have that purchase of a SACTI, the solid state battery startup. It's very unclear to me whether that technology has borne fruit. They seem to be reluctant to have external parties do testing, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Toshiba's recent announcement this week that they have a new battery which will offer much faster charging uh, with higher power density. That was already done on a 50 amp hour cell. So even though they expect not to scale this up to full commercial levels for another couple of years, you get the sense that they'll be sending that to everyone who's interested in testing it for third-party verification. Yeah. I guess we should also note the Tesla news uh, before we get on the boat uh, for our next segment. Uh, Tesla had announced their Q3 results. The production of the Model 3 was a lot lower, something like 80% lower than they were guiding towards and they were hinting at, promising yeah. in a non-binding way. And that was very disappointing on my part. Not so much that they missed. I can understand that. It really uh, frustrates me that there wasn't some advanced notification. Usually as a public company, if you're going to really miss, like really, really miss on something, you come out as soon as you find out and you let the world know so that the dust can settle and people don't get these unusual surprises. And that definitely didn't happen. You know, instead of giving guidance, Elon went to Australia to talk about rockets and stuff. I guess the challenge to me is having the confidence that he's fully committed to Tesla as opposed to all these other cool out there ideas that he yeah enjoys talking about you know i i think you're 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 hitting on something here because okay so he is an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs are really well known for not letting go of uh, of of the, the 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 director's post if you wish and eventually they either micromanage it or they drop it to the to the side and then it, it withers away not that tesla will wither away but it's definitely it it sounds like musk is much more interested in spacex which obviously spacex is going to make a lot more money than tesla so i think tesla might be also in a bit of a lull and also used to this because if you if you remember <clears throat> it was the same thing with the roadsters it was the same thing for the model s the prognostics their prognostics were always much more at least on the higher end of the scale than the deliverables um, have been and obviously you can see what the roadster did for the industry you can definitely see what the model s has done for the entire automotive industry so i'm not that uh, surprised that that the, the the numbers do not match but you're right. I am surprised that 80% offshoot is, that's very strange. That's well beyond what we've been accustomed to hearing, to seeing from Tesla. So 
So we just hope it's just a, a passing moment. But yeah, it's, it seems that they are fizzling out, at, at least in the excitement department. And obviously it is hard. You're introducing a new car, you beat the drum, you get, what was it, 400,000 reservations. Obviously, you need to put the, the, the rubber to the road. So we'll have to see what happens in the next few months. And obviously, I think before Christmas, we'll have lots of different news coming from Tesla. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we will. I suppose just before we leave Tesla, the one thing that really sticks out in my mind is that there was a tweet made about VIN number 1134 coming out. And I think Tom Randall from Bloomberg may have commented, wow, this means Tesla's already made a thousand of these cars. They <laughs> must be going up on schedule. And so as it turns out, if you played with calculators when you were a kid, you know that 1134, if you turn the calculator upside down, spells hell. It's in production hell. So I, I really have to think that that was a kind of an in-joke or practical joke that Elon and the team played to commemorate the fact that they're in the, in the process of production hell here. What I would like to say is that if you are really rocking things, if you are crushing it, like Google, it's okay to have your April Fool's Day jokes. And when you're crushing it, it's okay to have these little fun things. But as I see it, if you're struggling and you're still doing the little funny stuff, that doesn't send the right message because that suggests that you're thinking of these fun things when if you're struggling, 100% of your brain power really needs to be focused on solving those issues. I tend to be the person who makes too much of little things. So I'm sure that our listeners will correct us in the comments to the show notes. But uh, that, that is just the one takeaway I got from this uh, disappointment was if you're going to miss and you're going to miss by a lot, then please don't do these little jokes because it comes off just a bit wrong. Yeah, I, th I think that's one thing that I've noticed more and more is that the, the, what was once a fun arrogance from Tesla is, is, is starting to get, um, to get to some people at least. And, and I've, I've started noticing a few people you know, starting to have a negative image of Tesla. So I, I hope they don't get too cocky and too arrogant because you know what? At the end of the day, we got to get to work. We got to get those cars out. And that's the number one priority, regardless of whether it comes from Tesla, it has to happen. So, Yeah, so um, it's not just cars which are going the battery electric route or even the plug-in hybrid route. There's an interesting story about from Statoil a little while back that they had met some of their sustainability goals. I'll provide the link. And part of the way they met their sustainability goals was to reduce emissions from their equipment, basically the emissions from extracting oil, not the burning part, which they ship off to other countries, but their direct emissions of their equipment. Part of the way that they achieved this was through the use of hybridization, not just of land vehicles, but also of vessels. Being Canadian, I just want to highlight that Corvus Energy, a little startup here stocked with, we'll call them refugees from the fuel cell industry, <laughs> <laughs> has uh, deployed something like 90 energy storage systems for the marine industry. That's 50 megawatt hours. So that works out to what, 500 equivalent Teslas of batteries and have achieved a, a one and a half million operating hours. Uh, so this is a very cool thing. In the marine sector, you're not going to get that many pure battery electric vehicles because if you're in a car that you bought and you get stuck, you call AAA and they'll pick you up. But if you're in a boat and you get stuck and you're carrying containers or people, then it's not just a matter of calling the Coast Guard. You're probably going to have lawsuits. So except for the very shortest ferry runs or container ship runs, most of the vehicles that they've been providing battery systems to have been hybrid diesel or hybrid ship fuel uh, vehicles. But, but
But still, that is a tremendous benefit environmentally. The early adopters have been Scandinavian countries, so a lot of renewables, a lot of hydro. Ships burn fuel oil, bunker fuel, which is seriously the worst, most sulfurous, lowest grade, highest viscosity uh, fuel that there is out there. It's pretty much the bottom of the barrel of an oil barrel except for asphalt. So it's a very, it's a very positive story. I want to highlight that because you know, we get very enthusiastic about electric vehicles, but there's land, sea, and air where we can apply this uh, sort of technology. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And, and I think we've written a lot of things about the Scandinavian countries. And it's the ideal place for um, electric vehicles to take off because it's small. They actually work with one another, which is something, gosh, we should have this going on in the rest of the world. But all these countries work really well together. They have been doing um, hybrids and electric ferries too. And like you said, you're right. You don't want to be stuck without any, uh, any electricity in the middle of nowhere. So they have adopted pure electric ferries for very small routes since, you know, there are lots of islands. They, they use boats very, very frequently. And I'm glad to see that they are going towards the hybrid uh, solutions for bigger boats. One thing that I do know is that that low sulfur, I mean, that high sulfur, really thick petroleum or diesel that they use is usually used at high seas, but it's not used close to or within the 100-mile range of the, the coast. At least that's what I've heard right here in the Los Angeles area. So I don't know how these guys work. Knowing the Scandinavian countries are probably even tougher uh, with that. So I, I, that would be a good question to, um, to ask them and to find out. I'm excited they're going that route because it is so much more efficient. And by the way, 10 years ago when we were talking about electric boats, all of them scoffed and said, no way, there's no way uh, they can handle hydraulics. You need, uh, you need torquey diesel engine for that, so on, so on, so forth. So there you go. Ten years later, here's the proof, and it's in the pudding. We'll close out with a discussion of some pure electric vehicles now, completing our triad of land, sea, and air. Nicholas wrote a piece in Clean Technica just a couple of days ago with respect to uh, VTOL passenger drones. Yeah, you know, VTOLs are really incredible. They're everywhere this year. They're all over the map. Everybody wants to get a drone. There are drones everywhere. Uh, of course, you know, I mean, somebody has to be working on a vertical takeoff and landing uh, platform for passengers. Now, we've seen a few of these guys um, in the past. Ilium and all these guys have done a really great job. But Passenger Drone has uh, been working on one for a while. And they've actually done their first testing with one and two passengers actually this past month, this last August and just in September. So they're pretty close to having a deliverable, if you wish. They chose a very unlikely route, and that is the, you know, the drone configuration where you have um, eight propellers spread out um, on each side or each corners of the vehicle, which is it's a good idea, but there's also lots of drawbacks from it, which you might see from the uh, <laughs> not-so-friendly comments in the article. One thing I did find out in the meantime is that they are running on a 50-kilowatt uh, battery pack, which I thought was pretty darn small considering. And uh, they said that they were able to reach uh, 50 miles an hour, but they haven't really disclosed yet the distance or the range. And I can understand why, obviously, because by the time this, um, if passenger drone does make it to a commercial visit, well, it becomes commercially available, 
you know, we might have different batteries. We obviously, we will have different batteries. We will have different energy density and everything. So at first I was, you know, I really kept the story to the side because I it just didn't have that much information to it. But then I thought, no, these guys are doing a good job. This is a good platform. It's going in the right direction. And battery technology changes all the time. So we can definitely expect uh, uh, more from these guys in the near future. I should note to reply indirectly to one of the comments or the the suspicions that this isn't a real thing, it, it won't arrive for years. There was an AutoLine po uh, podcast a little while back where one of the auto industry analysts had uh, mentioned that there were four companies in China right now currently ferrying passengers to airports in certain cities using drones of this type. So there would be an amusing scenario where we in North America think, wow, we're on the cusp of the latest and greatest, <laughs> where actually we are behind the times. That would typically be the situation where if you were in, in the old days, a developing country, and like, wow, all these first world countries have these gadgets and so forth. But perhaps thanks to the fact that regulations aren't as strict or as rigorous in China, and there's a lot of money, a lot of entrepreneurs there, it would be very funny if... Um, Basically, we have had a blind spot to the development of this industry already in China uh, when it looks like our entrepreneurs over here are just kind of getting onto the cusp of commercialization. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I, I hear news from China. I, I, I talk to Chinese companies and I'm amazed at what they do. I'm also amazed at what we don't cover from there. And again, because it is, you know, that made in China syndrome where we feel like, oh, it's going to crash. It's going to it's going to not work. But look at their trains. They're fast. They're speedy trains and everything. They do have the technology. They understand that it has a stigmata and then they're really working hard at it. So. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, those comments, you just have to kind of uh, uh, <laughs> even read them. But they are happening. It is happening and it has happened and it will happen. And again, you're right. They they don't have the same restrictions that we have here, and it will take a lot more to do it over here than it would over there. So, so it's it's going to be interesting. And yes, I do think within about two years we'll see some commercial um, uh, VTOLs or VTOLs available. It, it will happen at some point. It, it don't think it's going to take ten to twenty years, but it, it will happen sooner than later. I don't doubt it. The the main stumbling block might be regulations because there would be a much greater fear here that the consequences of disobeying the FAA or having to wait for a Trump administration to actually make rules to set legal limits that everyone can be safe in without fear of getting sued. That's another way that the Trump administration is not really helping the electric vehicle uh, uh, set. <laughs> well, and that's that's normal. I mean, look at the lobbies. The lobbies come from petroleum companies. The lobbies even come from uh, utilities, by the way. And all these guys are throttling it back. And, and you, you can see who pays for most of that uh, politics. And it's not the battery makers. It's not uh, the Teslas of this world. In fact, I, I, you know, Musk did finally walk away from that whole thing. Right or wrong, I guess. Obviously, those kind of politicians and, and are, are representatives for, for a different type of lobby and, and not for what we want and what we need to have. Right. So that about wraps it up for this week's Clean Tech Talk. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a safe rest of your commute. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll see if uh, we'll, we're able to dig into two meaty stories or whether we're going to have to break it up into a chunk of equally deserving of attention smaller stories either way we hope uh, you'll come back next week and enjoy your electric face <laughs>